Uh, hi, this is Matt Gorman, and you're listening to Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Tudor. Thanks for joining us. I would love to talk to you a bit about your upcoming production, mm-hmm. uh, This Lime Tree Bower. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I think it'd be great if you could give us sort of a little bit of background on Carcourse Theater and, sure. and, the, and the company in general. The company, it, it, it sort of lives up to its name in the sense of putting the cart before the horse in that I was maybe two or three years out of school and sitting around and in the way that most actors in their early 20s do. I was doing not much of anything. And there was uh, the Halifax Fringe Festival. Yeah, the Atlantic Fringe Festival used to. They're, a bit, they're better now. You put their call out in like June for a festival in September. So it was the, it was super last minute, and I was just like, all right, well, I'm not doing anything, and my parents live in Halifax, so why not? So I just said, okay. So I sent in a thing, and super last minute, put this Brian Friel show on, convinced a girl in my class to do it with me, and found someone to direct it, and okay, I'll, like, it's that sort of thing of, you, you just sort of commit yourself, and then all of a sudden, well, now you have to do it, so now you have to figure out a way to for that and you have to figure out where you're going to rehearse it and blah, 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 and all of a sudden you have a company. Um, <laughs> so it's that sort of necessity is the, yeah, the mother of everything yeah, in yeah, theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Like, and you, you, if you sit around and wait for the perfect time to do this or that, like, it's just never going to do it. And then, yeah, and then, and so we came up with a name kind of based on that. I thought it looked funny on paper. It's just miserable to explain to people over the phone and stuff now when, and when you're trying to write it and, and you can't put it in a lot of uh, uh, internet things because the backslash means different things so like right. you, can't, you can't create it as a file name somewhere so uh, it's fine <laughs> if I knew now what I knew then is the theme today but yeah so that was 2006 2007 something like that in the summer uh, we did that show in Halifax, went pretty well, and then we remounted it here in Toronto. Got a different director because the girl who did it didn't didn't feel up to it, didn't want to, you know, when we said, oh, well, now we have to do the whole thing, she got a little nervous, which is fine, she's lovely. And that was our first big, like, ask of, like, having to ask a grown-up to be involved in the show. And then, again, once you do that, you're like, oh, now I have to pay this person. <laughs> okay, now I need to figure out how to raise money, which I still don't know how to do. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then we did that one-man show that we've done a bunch of times at the Fringe and then a bunch of other places. And then last year was our biggest show ever. We had the Extra Space of the Tarragon. We did Vincent River by Philip Ridley. Great. And now this. But that yeah, that show cost me millions of dollars so it's we had to do some licking our wounds time in between so that's why it's taken us a little while so this is the triumphant return of the company you recently yeah. made a season yeah, announcement yeah. yeah which is hilarious so, uh, <laughs> the idea yeah the idea that we have I just a I, I'm enjoying speaking to an artistic director of a company and being like we've announced our season well, oh, I, that's hilarious I I and you know what I think it's, it's great an, to not it's take it's a it hilariously too arbitrary <laughs> title right like the company, there's three of us. There's myself, uh, Megan Garropy is our producer, and Jillian Lewis is our production manager. And the three of us sort of are the company. And I, like, I get that title because I'm the only one who doesn't have, you know, real skills. 
<laughs> so I get the artistic title, which is, you know, it's funny. And I, I have to do all sorts of other producery things, but it's kind of where the company came from. We do shows. We don't have a real mandate. I don't know. That's a sticking point. We do shows that other people don't want to do. Uh, How is it a sticking point? Well, we're we're in the process now of incorporating and becoming a real company and doing all that sort of stuff. And there will be board members and things, and there will be meetings and stuff, which is good because it gets me financially and legally off the hook for all the things we do, which is nice. But part of that is is you have to say what your company is and does, and it's it's a hard conversation. Because, you know, you can think of the really obvious examples. You know, someone like Nightwood. We are a women's theater company. We do plays by and about women. But, um, and that's good. And Full it's, stop, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and, and they're great and they do neat things. And, but it's a, you know, it's going to sound like I'm slagging them, but it's an easy mandate. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, large topic, genre, thing, whatever. It, they have huge flexibility within that because as so long as it's by a woman, it fits. And so they can do it. And great and awesome. Right. And it's clear um, and a concise and, and kind yeah, of. Yeah. And it's easy to describe. It's like, oh, what does your company do? We do women's theater. Bam. Done. Well, Matt, what does your company do? <sighs> well, they've kind of been about this and that. I don't know. I don't know what we do. We do shows that don't fit other people's mandates. Nice. We do shows that the Misfit uh, Company. A little bit, yeah. We do shows that I like. I don't know. We do shows that I want to see. Uh, that if I was an audience member, I would want to go see that. There is something about most of them that is something I haven't, I don't see a lot of on stage in this city, at least. So it's a perfect segue then into what what is in this upcoming production. Uh, opening December or previewing December sixth, opening December seventh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what is it about this lime tree bower that uh, that you that it that is something that you want to see on stage? Uh, a real uh, a real honest engagement with an audience in the room with you. McPherson has this great sort of sense of of, of of a relationship between an audience and and the actors and the writing itself. That it's incredibly immediate. I mean there it's it's a memory play in a sense, but they're right there and they're and they're talking to you and there's no illusion that you're anywhere other than in a theater. Which is not revolutionary. I mean well it's a fourth wall silliness, but there's less barriers between the story and the audience. So we've we've always tried to pick shows that really draw people in and make the audience a part of it and make you feel complicit in what's going on and that the story is being told to you and not, not just in front of you. Uh, you, can, you can just go see a movie if, if that's all you want. But if you want living, breathing things that, that you know, look you in the eye at times. Not always, because that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the last show, uh, Vincent River ended in this, like, five-minute monologue that I had that was just, it was awful. It was awful it, in, in the best way. It was just this horrific, you know, this guy finds his lover in a public washroom who has been beaten to death. And Spoilers. It's horrific. <laughs> it's a horrific. <laughs> I, yeah. If you've got like 20 grand, awesome. I would, I'm there. We'll do it. Um, but it, it's brutal. It's brutal, and he and he describes in very graphic detail what he sees. And on opening, 
I was I was usually pretty good at the tarragon. They had the aisle in the middle, so I was just kind of looking right there. But my agent was sitting kind of by himself, like two rows up and right there, which meant that basically I was just staring at him the whole time, and I could see him squirm, and then I was kind of like, ah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to aim this at you. I apologize. I would look at everyone if I could, but I kind of can't right now. <laughs> now, um, now that this has landed on you. Yeah, You're yeah, stuck. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you that uncomfortable. I do like making an audience uncomfortable, but not, you know, in a cruel way. Uh, so this show, what's about this show? What can you tell us about the story specifically? Sure. Well, it's about uh, three young guys in Dublin, early 2000s, late 90s, something like that. Two of them are brothers, and the oldest guy is their oldest, their older sister's boyfriend. So, de facto older brother. Uh, and it's about this one weekend that they all have a pretty terrible weekend, you know, sort of mingling monologue kind of way. Things are set off because the middle character robs a bookie because he, he feels this guy has been holding this debt over his father for so long, so he's going to get his dad out of it, rob this guy, and it's going to set everything straight. And then you sort of see how they all kind of fit into this, and it ends with the three of them. Later in the weekend, you know, the three of them go on this road trip to sort of get away from this thing. If I was to say what happened, I mean, a lot, a lot of things happen, but the show to me is about uh, three guys trying to break out of a rut. Three guys trying to do something different with their lives because they all feel stuck. The youngest guy doesn't know who he is yet. He's in this weird relationship with another teenager. He's like 17, and there's this guy at school that he's, you know, maybe he's in love with him, maybe he's not. He's 17. He doesn't know left from right. He doesn't, yeah, I don't know. No one knows anything about themselves at 17. And if you do, you're a liar. <laughs> or, or a genius. Or, you know, yeah, or you're some child prodigy, but that's going to end badly, so sorry. And for child prodigies listening, spoilers for, yeah. for your life. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Enjoy it now. <laughs> Drugs are going to destroy you soon. Uh, yeah, middle brother works in the family chip shop, feels hard done by because he does all the work. And da, 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 da. an oldest guy is a university professor who sleeps around and is a jerk, but is just kind of wallowing in not really doing what he wants and not really writing, not really teaching, just doing it and drinking, and it's awful. And so it's about three men who want something different, who want something exciting. So, you know, there's that big change. You know, if a play ends and no one's changed, then what's the point? We've just wasted an hour and a half or whatever. It's about male sadness, which I don't think you see very often. Men being lonely, men being sensitive in a way that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's not the view. They're not gonna, they're not gonna get out there and share things. But they oh, are. Darn. But they are. You know, they're gonna. But they're they're right. going to admit to having feelings that, you know, I don't know. We, I, I don't know about you. I work in the arts. Everyone I know shares their feelings all the time. Right. So I don't. I don't particularly live in a world that I feel is all that repressed. This is a different tack on it. This is this is this is being honest and not just revealing things for the sake of it. 
Chuck it. And this is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's at the, the Berkeley upstairs. upstairs. Yeah. Makes me think of an attic in some ways. Uh, it's this kind of fun, tucked away upstairs space. It's still a lot bigger than uh, most other studios, like by a lot. There's actually a lot of seats in there. But it's, yeah, it's this great red brick kind of room. It's cozy, you know? It gets away from that obnoxious black box thing that gets a bit tired. Why does everything have to be black? Like, why, why did that become neutral? Black is not neutral. You go into a black room, and it's like, this is depressing. Like, this is makes me sit and want to be serious and think heavy thoughts. And so what, what, what would you consider a neutral room for, for theater? Something with texture. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of an old salon feeling of like going into somebody's bit, house. And <laughs> yeah, like, like make it warm. Make it an inviting space, and then you can change it. Like, I don't know. It's more interesting to make a, an inviting room scary than it is to make this deep, dark room. And then, you know, you're going to try and isolate one spot and say, oh, this is a park bench. Okay, but it's surrounded by this creepy black void. That's terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a great room. It's a lovely room. Cushioned seats. It's a miracle in a Toronto theater. Yeah, it's a nice room. It's, ni- it's, it's nice to work in buildings like Canadian stage because, you know, that makes you feel like you're a grown-up and you're participating with the community at large, you know, you're giving all these secret location shows, you know, you have to have an iPod to figure out where the hell it is, and <laughs> you wind up in some basement somewhere, and you're like, this isn't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to your house to see a play, like, I can just go to your house, and we can hang out, why do I need to, why are you charging me money to come to some apartment building? I'm enjoying the fact that this conversation, I'm getting little peeks into your into your theatrical uh, philosophy. and uh... If it sounds like I'm about to sabotage my career entirely, please <laughs> stop me. I like other people's shows. I do. My buddy Carl Ang and I used to talk about starting a podcast. And it was The idea would just be Matt and Carl getting drunk and sabotaging our own careers by saying inflammatory things about shows we'd seen. Or like inviting someone on and then just being like, so, have you seen any shows lately? Yeah. Did you like them? Not really. Why? And can we just honestly talk about other people's shows? But you can't because you need to work with these people. You know, you need to behave. You can't, you can turn the microphone off and you can say all kinds of things. But it's, and it's mean. It's, it's not helpful, but sometimes it is helpful. It would be nice if someone said, I saw your show. It was mediocre. Do better. But you have how would to. how would you react if somebody have have people reacted that way to your shows? Not, <laughs> not to my like, face. Do you want that? I kind of. I mean, I hope they do. I hope I've. I hope they cared enough to not like it for that reason. If they didn't like it because they thought it was slow or preachy or about something else or wasn't sexy or some stupid reason like that, then I don't really care. But if they thought it wasn't good enough, then. Good. Then, yay! You care. I hope people care. I don't know. What 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 makes a show good enough? Having something to say, and really trying to say it, not cutting yourself short. By, uh, you know, like I I I want a show that wants to break my heart, not just titillate. 
you know, or, or, or I, I want a show to be violent and not just angry. It's, it's that difference when you see an actor, I hate using words like commit makes it, makes it sound like you're an American method guy. Well, that's just silly. But, you know, like when, when someone really goes for it and really like seeing two people fall in love, actually fall in love is, is an incredible thing when you see it, mm-hmm. as opposed to people being coy and, and just sort of winking at each other and saying, oh, aren't we being naughty because I'm in my underwear? Well, neat. I'm in my underwear most of the day. It's really not that exciting <laughs> to see someone else in their underwear. It's exciting to see someone, you know, being daring by being in their underwear or not being in your Like, fall in love without taking your clothes off. Is there a real need for you to walk around with no pants on on stage? Not usually. You can probably get across whatever point, at one point, hopefully, in the process of this thing, you thought, yeah, let's write a play about this awful thing or this wonderful thing that's happening to us, and then it gets bogged down and, ah, it would be great if it was funny, and then it becomes a quippy thing and not a witty thing. Ah, I don't know, I'm just sounding like a jerk and a snob. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think... I was doing a show a couple years sure. ago out in Summerstockland, which is a... It's, it's wonderful. It's when you do these, these comedies and people come see them and they have a great time and they're usually a great time to do. But it's usually just, you know, men and women are different. Waka, waka, waka <laughs> kind of stuff. And you know how they're going to end and it's fine. And it's fun. It's a nice night out in July. Whatever. Great time. I love doing them. I love doing shows like that. Um, <laughs> but we went to see, as a cast, we went to go see a production of Avida or something like that at one of these other theaters, and it was dreadful. It's just, ugh. Like, sure, whatever. The, the show's fine. I, I got nothing against Andrew Lloyd Webber per se, but like, but it was bad, and it was schlocky, and it was just like, hey, we're putting on a show, and aren't we great because we're doing it? Eh, no, and I, didn't, and I didn't like it. Long story short, I didn't like it. <laughs> Again, and we're, and, and we're, we're in the car driving back, and people are being like, oh, wasn't this great, and this great? And I was, I was trying just to not say anything because it's just easier because I don't want to be a grumpy old man all the time. And someone was you like... You to pick your moments for that. Yeah, yeah, you got to <laughs> sparingly be a curmudgeon. Uh, and someone was like, oh, you, you didn't, why didn't you like that? Oh, you're like, you're so snobby. And I was like, well, yeah, aren't you? Like, this is what you do for a living. Don't you care? Like, don't you want to do a great show and not just an okay show? Like, uh, and I've done it. I, I've, I've, I've half-assed things. I've, I've, I have phoned in some shows before. Let's not, like, say that I am some paragon of virtue but like not things i've produced like if you're gonna go through heartache of putting this thing on and bleeding and crying on the phone to people to try and get money from them to do this thing and trying to pay people like grown-ups and give them a salary for their work you better love that show it better be great and that's what blows my mind we were in new york a couple years ago and we saw this show Jeremy Irons was in it, and Joan Allen was in it. It was terrible. Like, it was just an awful play. And you kind of sat there, and you're like, I know this is a multi-million dollar production. Who liked this that much? Because this is bad. 
And they all know it's bad. You can see it on their faces on stage that they hate doing this. Why? Why are people putting money into things that you don't like? That you don't, that like there's no heart in it. What's the point? Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you, you've made reference to, I think, something that, that is like the step before in a lot of cases. It's, it's the play that's selected or whatever is written. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, you know, after you've already signed on to a production. Oh, shit. You know, hey, look, for- if you're just Joe Schmo getting paid to show up, then, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a good thing to not care. But I can understand being hired gun on a show that's just going to pay your rent for a while. It happens. Happens. But someone chose that play, and someone right. thought it was great. Why? I don't know. I don't know. No, I guess. I guess my point is just that uh, you know a lot of that is sort of the step before. Because mm-hmm. I mean, people are people are producing Evita. Do you think you could have a production of Evita that? Was evocative, or do you oh, like? Sure. Do you blame that first yeah. step of Andrew Lloyd uh, Webber? Here, it's a bad step if you program Evita because you have a hole in your season that you have decided a musical should be in. And what's a musical we haven't done yet? Ah, uh, Evita. People like that. They remember the movie. Let's just do Evita. That's a bad choice. A good choice is saying like, here's a show I've loved since I was a kid. Or whatever, or I saw this wonderful production of it, and I found it moving. Or I love these songs, and I think this is a great story. Then it's a fine choice. It's an it's a perfectly valid choice to say this is a great musical that I love. Just because, just because I don't like it, who cares what I like? I'm just a for the purposes cr- of this interview. Yeah, for the I purposes. Do. Well, that's good. Well, thank you, thank you. But I mean, you know, just because some jerk doesn't like your show, they're like, screw me. My opinion is not really all that important. But like, if you really love Evita, put it on, do it, and but and then go for it. Like, cast people that you think are gonna make neat choices. Hire a director that you think is also passionate about this, and not just a guy who puts on musicals and stages them and says, "You come in this way, talking and leave." So who needs like, who needs to see that show? Why? Why should I come see it if you don't care? But if you all love it, I'm sure some of you don't. I'm sure there's someone in the show who's <laughs> like, yeah, sure, just pay me, I'll do it. But you can see, you can see when there's a show that someone really liked and wasn't just filling a slot in a season somewhere. Ugh, that's lazy. So do you feel like a, a script like this Lime Tree Bower has sort of ignited everyone involved with it? In the... I think so, so far. <laughs> so far. No one's... We had a design meeting How yesterday. Just non-committal. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know what other people think. Yeah, it, it's gotten... The, the people who are doing it seem pretty keen on it, you know. Uh, when I, when I, I pitched that show and one other show to Sarah as things we were thinking about doing, and, and there was no question between this one and the other one that she wanted to do this one because it's, it's this great, really heartfelt and honest piece, which is rarer than it should be in what gets put on because a lot of stuff gets put on because it's new or because it's Canadian. And that's about it. And that's fine. There are companies that do those kind of shows, and that's great. Um, but we wanted something that uh, I connect to it um, 
as a guy who's going to be one of those guys. Uh, so speaking for a third of the cast. Speaking, yeah, <laughs> speaking for the guy in the middle chair is having a great time. I don't know about the other two. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, there's it's a weird there's a weird quality about the show that it's just it's genuine without being hokey. And it's it's heartfelt without being saccharine. It's uh, it's honest. Uh, it's it's, it's the, the the best word that I can usually think of because it's the simplest. Um, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing. Uh, no one's lying about their feelings. Or if they are, you can see, and then they can't maintain it for long, and then they just have to confess to. I'm sorry, that was both what I just said. Uh, really, what I want to talk about is this, 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 and this, this. And I think it's connected to the, the you know, to our, our, our production team in that just really trying to get this story across. That's what's been nice to see when, when we've all met and talked about it. And when we've talked about the other actors we would bring in, uh, you know, you want someone who isn't going to turn this into a star vehicle, silly. Not, not that that happens in... Canadian theater, but you know, <laughs> someone who isn't going to have some big silly ego and like, look how great I am, they're going to be there to tell this story because they think it's interesting and different and, 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 and a challenge to do. Gray Powell, who's playing the oldest guy, is this, he's, a, he's a tremendous actor, he's a wonderful performer. And I, one of the reasons I think he, he might have said yes, and I don't want to speak for him. Is because well, a he's been working at a classical company for years, and he does beautiful period dramas and all these sorts of things. And this is just so different than that. It's a thing he hasn't gotten to be rude and selfish and that kind of in in this in this particular way in a while. It's a nice break, I think, from the kind of stuff he's been doing. When when you have so little money to offer people, you have to give them an experience that they will enjoy. So you have to pick a show that is going to speak to the artists who are going to do it, and it's going to spark some kind of you know passion hopefully in them. Because you know uh, this might pay their rent for a month, but it is certainly not going to make anyone wealthy. Me least of all. I'm certainly not in this for the cash because <laughs> there isn't any. There just isn't. There, there isn't. No, no. <laughs> this no. just in. This just in. <laughs> There's no money in theater. Please, kids. <laughs> Mamas, don't like, let your babies no, grow up seriously. to be theater people. <laughs> God, if I have a kid, I'll teach them to do something useful. I don't know how to do anything useful, so I'll... Hence artistic director. Hence as artistic we... <laughs> director of the theater company. Christ. Uh, well, well, well. We've tried to define it's it's a weird thing. Like when you try to define the company as something other people aren't doing, it's then hard to say what you are, because it's 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 been driven by this thing of going to shows, and four out of five shows just they don't they don't try, you know, like they don't they don't reach far enough. You know, there, there's no actual danger. No one on that stage is really going to get hurt. Not, you know, not saying you have to, again, hit people in the face with bottles and stuff, but, like, no one's feelings are really getting hurt up there. No one's putting themselves out there because there's always this check. Ah, 
there's a more comfortable way to do this. There's an easier choice. There's, you know, there's a way that I can get that laugh as opposed to saying something that means something to someone. You know, choices, you know, your first choice is always crappy. Your second choice is probably fine. And your third choice is solid. Like, that's just like, it's a good choice. It's going to get the point across. You're going to get a laugh. The bit's going to work. So you have to move past that one. Choices like four through eight are going to be disastrous. Because you're just flailing. I don't know. You're looking for something else, and you're not going to find it. Because you remember choice three, and it was so <laughs> right. And it just was like, I just come in, I say this thing, I look at the chick, and then I'm out. And like, boom, good bit. But until you get to like nine and ten... Then you find something really interesting, and then you find those, you know, you see those plays where someone has done that, like they've taken the time to investigate, to really find something else, and you say, oh, wow, you took Avida and you, you made her a person by letting her have a habit that was not just what you've seen in other productions or what is right there in front of you on the page. You took some time to look at the other people that you're on stage with and say, oh, like, who is that person? What am I doing with them? Wouldn't, okay, I don't know. Maybe this time when I say it, I'll put my head on the table. I don't know. That might do something. It might be stupid. It probably will be stupid. And the choice that's going to be the best is probably going to be kind of dumb. And unless you feel a bit stupid doing something, you're probably not doing anything worth doing. Because if you feel... I don't know. Any actor who walks on stage super confident, that's scary to me. I don't know. That's <laughs> just like, I don't... If you feel super secure in everything you're doing, why do it? I don't know. Then Now it's just a job. Now you're just walking around. If there's no nerves, good lord. If there's no risk, that you know, there's no chance to fail on stage, in the moment, every single performance. You know, you don't rehearse a show until it's good. You rehearse it until it's dangerous, and then you're, then it's fun. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> ah, ah, there you go. There you go. It's towards your fundraising is this, campaign. Is this, is this part you don't of rehearse the show. Sign, you get you get all my quips too. <laughs> no, no, by all means, still, still, still your property. Ah. Rehearse it till it's dangerous. Yeah. Well, it was when we were doing that that hard house thing. I mean. There were two guys, we cast two guys in that show who do not get cast in roles like that very often. That was very much on purpose. I don't think we were recording at that. You're speaking, of course, of the Hardhouse production oh, yeah, of Rosencrantz yeah, and Guildenstern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim and Andrew are, uh, they're, they're typically cast as other guys. They're Benvolios. They're not usually cast as a Romeo, that kind of thing. And so they knew they had a chance to be different than what people had seen them as before. They knew, especially, you know, on opening night, they knew that there were people in that audience who had seen them in a number of things. But, but, te- but I mean, something. technically, though, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are the other guys. Well, yeah, 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 and that's why we went out of our way to find those guys. Right, right. You know, and not to, and not to just cast some really sick dudes who are going to be witty and great and blah, 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 blah. I think I'm Gary Oldman. You're not Gary Oldman. And so it was, it was, the rehearsal process was about Pushing them to say, like, yeah, that's a thing you do, and I've seen you do it, and I don't want to see you do it anymore. I've seen you be 
you know, whatever this whatever this character is at the moment. I've seen that. I've seen Andrew and Jim as that before, and I don't want. I'm I'm bored with that. So be do something different. Show me that there is something else there. And that's when it gets interesting. It doesn't always work. And yeah, it's going to be silly and it's going to be odd. And hopefully they were uncomfortable doing it. Or else it's no fun. <laughs> that's, you know? that's your job when you direct is yes, making people and uncomfortable. It's, well, it's an obstacle course as opposed to a playground, right? Like seeing a bunch of kids like just on a playground dicking around, that's charming. But, you know, put that group of kids through some weird obstacle course where there's, like, a thing at the end and they've got to get somewhere, and then all of a sudden they've got to do different things. That's fun. And then they're going to make strange choices, and you're going to see weird things about kids, and they're going to behave in odd ways. And like kids. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I once... I once you, uh, didn't, you didn't mean it that way. No. <laughs> you don't sit there at playgrounds <laughs> just think, hoping they were obstacle courses. Yeah, I, I wish I could put these kids in danger somehow. <laughs> that would be great to see. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw this uh, a kid's show. I was working at a theater, and they had like a, a kid's program. And they were doing this really short version of Midsummer Night's Dream. It was about like 12 kids involved or something. It was awesome. So I went to see their like presentation to their parents. It was great. It was already like seeing 10-year-olds do Shakespeare is already just... But then there's that added element of like they're just waving to their parents <laughs> while, while they're on stage doing the thing. And like the poor, the poor girl who had tried to put this thing together is like, you know, pushing Jimmy back on stage because he's walking this way and like feeding the kids the lines because they're just standing there like, I don't remember the line anymore, but isn't it awesome that I'm in this weird costume? And they're just having a great time doing this and like being up there and being on stage and performing and it was oh it was wonderful wish more grown-ups did that cared a little less about how they looked that kind of thing trying I to see be, the wheels turning well, <laughs> you know <laughs> trying to yeah all children all children all the time all kids all the time oh that'd be awesome we tried for this show we uh the youngest character in lime tree is 17 and we tried to find, like, a 16-, 17-year-old kid. Uh, it's tough because then you've got all these, like, school hours you've got to work around and all that, that sort of thing. And then you've got to deal with their parents. I don't know. I don't want to deal with some kids' parents and stuff like that. And, and you, you get kids who, who, like, oh, I was in six commercials. I'm a professional actor. Actually, you're a model when you're kind of a jerk. Uh, and you don't want to work with them. Or you, or you work with, like, super hot shots who are like, I've been on YTV since I was 10. And you're like, yeah. And you talk like a weirdo all the time. You're constantly excited about nothing. It's strange. Like, you know, but you've got this nest egg because you were on some terrible show in the 90s. That I probably watched and loved and was so jealous that you were on. Uh, and still am. Still am. But we, and we, we, we couldn't. We couldn't. Like, we, we just couldn't find a kid. I'm, of course, we didn't have the resources to search everywhere, but yeah, you had to find. We we tried to find someone, and we did. And Anthony is is a wonderful actor who came in and was just this, this really unassuming guy who just kind of sat down and then told us this story that was the first monologue of the show. I'm like, oh, you know, I like you. You're not trying to be something. 
you know, a bunch of guys came in, they've got their little wool caps on, and they try to do their hoity-doity-doity Irish thing, and it was just awful. Some of them were awful, like most auditions. Yeah, and you're just like, what, what are you doing? Why are you acting so hard? Just stop. It's like, this thing is perfectly written. All you have to do is read it to me, and I will get it. Stop adding all of these things. Just think about it for a second and say, yeah, it was... It was the morning, and I woke up, and I did this thing, and I came, and I bought a coffee, and I came over here. Not, oh, Julie, you'll never believe. Oh, I woke up, I bought this coffee. The greatest coffee I ever had. Well, it wasn't. Liar. (laughs) Just talk to me. Oh, and and, and watching it, it was great. And so you get that youthful thing that we were looking for, just unassuming, not knowing what you're doing, not trying to put on something else. Most kids are... They don't know who they are, let alone you know, yeah. who they want to be. Like, just be a dude. Just open the cupboard, take the glass out, and fill it with water. Good. <laughs> there you go. Let us worry about what it means. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what the director's over there pulling their hair out, worrying about. And, not, and, not, and, and you know, I don't want to go all David Mamity and say, just say the lines and do the blocking. Leave the rest up to the professionals, because that's just a jerk-failed actor talking. <laughs> um, but you know, but yeah, oh God, yeah, just simple, simple, simple. Stop trying to be cool. You're an actor. You're not cool. You work in theater. It's not cool. There is just nothing cool or slick or sexy about theater. So st- stop. Just let it. Let it be all the things that all those other mediums can't be, and that is live and intimate and breathing and real and true so the truth is not cool it's not (laughs) the truth is terrible and embarrassing and and painful and wonderful you know it's not it's not in a great suit and just ah sorry sorry Uh, yeah yeah this is just me trying not to just land-based I've, I, a uh, buddy of mine, we were, we were talking about how we wish there was a service that you could just hire that someone, you would say, I think this person is mediocre. And this guy would just go to their house and just say, hey, by the way, you're mediocre. And just like point it out, someone to go around and say that for you. Usually that's a theater critic's job, but even they're worried about how people think of them, so they can't really. Yeah, well, uh, Criti- criticism's an interesting, an interesting. It is. Thing. I, I've thought I, I'd never work again if you started writing. <laughs> what, I, you actually I, thought? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I know one actor who also writes, and she uses a different name, obviously, when she goes to write these things. It's tempting, uh, but then yeah, I don't know. Then you're just a jerk. And most, most, most critics, especially in this city and country, uh, they're not. They're not critics. They're just reviewers. So they just. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. They just go and tell you the show they saw and whether they liked it or not and what the people were wearing. Neat. Like, thanks for the heads up. No, I'm definitely, I'm a big fan of, like, the, the Peter Brook kind of yeah, breakdown yeah, of what critics yeah, should be and, like, yeah. their actual job. Well, and it's, it's, I'm fascinated by it. I'd love the, to get a critic on this podcast. I'd love to get a critic on this podcast. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of, like, pick their brain of what got you into this and what do you see your responsibilities as yeah, being, and, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, no, and there, there's, there's I hear what you're saying about reviewers. Do, there are some folks who try and they do some 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 good writing. Yeah, you're you're there to hold people accountable for what they've done. You're not you're not there to just 
tell me what's happening. I'm an adult. I can read the paper. Like, I know what's playing. And, and, this, is, and this is my industry, so I better know what's going on and what's playing right now. And if you're an actor and you don't see enough theater, you're a jerk. And just go see more plays. Stop whining about how much they cost. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy that you have no shortage of causes that yeah. you're addressing over the course of this podcast. Ah, um, <laughs> get it off get it off your chest, by all means. Like, yeah. And my I should be plugging the show more. <laughs> I should just be saying, please come see our play and not well, no, I, I mean, think everyone else is a jerk, because now I just look like an idiot. No, but I mean, you know what? You've 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 raised the bar for yourself, and now people are going to hold well, you to your standards. Yeah, no, and I mean, I hope so. Like, yeah, I would rather fail miserably trying to do something uh, neat. Well, that's a silly word, but like, it's a good word. As opposed to just doing something I know is going to sell or be easy or that I know I can do. Uh, I have certain strengths and weaknesses as a performer and as a director and all those sorts of things. And it's when you get those jobs that are totally in your wheelhouse, then that's kind of nice. But those aren't that's not why you should be doing it. I mean you should be doing it because I don't know if I can do this play. I don't know if I can do that role. Uh and you know, it's nice to when you when you're casting other people to be like, yeah, you could either cast that guy, but then who cares? I, I remember um, there was a production of Midsummer Night Dream. And there's a million productions of Midsummer Night Dream. Uh, a friend of mine was in it, and she was talking about the guy who was playing Bottom. And the show just didn't work because they had actually they cast Bottom. And the, that, that's just who the guy was. He was a loud jerk. And he was pompous, and he thought he was amazing as just a guy. And so, of course, he walks in the room and does an audition or whatever, and you're just like, yeah, Bottom. Not realizing that's just who he is. Now you have now you have to deal with that. <laughs> you're stuck with it, yeah. And he's a jerk, and he he'll never change his performance. He'll never do anything different or interesting because he is bottom, and he thinks he knows best. You want to hire someone who shares some of the qualities of the character that you're looking for. Like you want someone, you want to find someone insecure to play bottom. You don't want to find someone overly confident. Because you want to see someone insecure overcome that by being overly confident and a jerk. And that's interesting because it comes out of something real, genuine yeah. and real. Not, I just am a loudmouth. Watch me be a loudmouth. Who, who needs to see that? You mentioned uh, people coming into the auditions and, and doing an accent. Do you guys do accents in the show? Or? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I always, that's, that's always part of the fun. Why? Why? Come on. <laughs> well, that's always the interesting. It's in the thing. language. It's there. It's part of the thing. Right. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's that's um, the challenge with with scripts. Often, if it's like if it's written into it, yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to watch a play where people are obviously doing idioms and stuff out of the dialect, and you're like, yeah. That's well, kind there's of there's odd. a difference. So, then, like, if you see if you read a script and it just says, uh it's just set in an apartment. Okay, well then, like, there's there's no uh, special requirement of that apartment to be in any particular place. Um, if you read a script that says an apartment in Dublin, well, then you're in Dublin. And unless your character is a Canadian in Dublin, then it sort of behooves you to 
be that person to 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 honor the voice of the writer who who created this idea and these people doesn't mean it's not necessary all the time you know there there are plays written by irish welsh scott czech lithuanian kenyan playwrights that have I, th- you those know, weren't hyphens between all of those yeah yeah well that's <laughs> That would be an That's, interesting family tree. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I just didn't yeah. know where you were going. But anyway, sorry, uh, yes. You know, who, who are written by people from all over. Happens, uh, happens to me a lot. Um, I'm from Nova Scotia, and I, I love seeing uh, plays set on the East Coast. And I love seeing people do East Coast accents. I love it. I find it just wonderful, because they're usually miserable. Uh, yeah, they all end up sounding like Jimmy Stewart. For some reason, it's really? oh, it's I find it hilarious, um, but I uh, like, but I respect you know you're doing a David French play, so you gotta that's that's the voice, that's the cadence of those lines is it's gotta come out like that. Not all of his plays are like that, you know, and so they're 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 it's a choice. The play could be done. We could do Lime Tree without the accents, but then there would be. Bits of language that would come up that just wouldn't sound right coming out of our mouths. It would just like that Canadian pattern of speech just wouldn't wouldn't fly, and it would be jarring and it would be strange um, because he's written these guys in this certain way, and he's given them lines that no, and I'm not saying yeah, it, it's yeah, not yeah. right for this show, but it's one and of those it's fun, <laughs> and you know you get to talk in a different voice, and you. Playing dress up. I mean, why not do? Of course, you want to do a funny voice. You kidding me? A character is the way they 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 speak, and so trying to match the vocal quality of a person tells you a lot about who they are. And like you know, the the thickness of an accent, the the particular stresses that someone has tell you a lot about who they are. So trying to match that is you know, no one wants to see Matt Gorman on stage. I don't think. I don't know, maybe my mom, because she's nice. But, like, <laughs> who wants to see that? You're an actor. Like, your job is to be someone else. I don't know. That's the fun. That's why we go see it. I don't want to see my... I don't, I, it would be strange to go see you in a show, just, like, have a weird freak out. I'd be worried for you. You know? Like, if it's some, like, horrible autobiographical... Oh, I hate autobiographical shows. I hate them. Because now I'm just worried for you. Like, now you just, like, I, I, I'm sorry that this awful thing happened to you. Ugh. Like, now I, I'm uncomfortable for the wrong reasons now. Like, you've just made me squirm because you're like, oh, by the way, this dreadful thing happened to me as a kid. Okay. Yeah, I saw, I've seen a, I've seen a couple of have shows a, like that. You want to have a drink after? <laughs> or, like, are you okay? Is this therapy or is this a play yeah and you feel awkward you feel awkward at the curtain call at those yeah, shows like a, yay childhood trauma <laughs> but you know I'm, write that show sure write it but for the most part give it to someone else to perform because then there's you know that layer of artifice over top of it now i can just focus on the story not like how are you doing you know and that's just narcissistic Selfish, in a way. See? No, no, whatever. It's 
we may we may see a decline because of the massive listenership. <laughs> we may see a decline in in autobiography. I hope I yeah yeah yeah. I hope I hope to be your first. Has anyone ever like written an angry letter about anyone? Who's no, no. Yeah, coming. Staring at the microphone as if they're there. I'm sorry, sorry. Your plays are great. <laughs> Please cast me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking some uh, some time out of your busy schedule, giving us a a little peek uh, into into this lime tree bar and, and cart horse theater. And we're yeah, we're friendly. We're nice. We're not curmudgeonly all the time. <laughs> We're good people. We're good people. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.